Love War. Welcome to the Love War podcast. As always, we're Grant and Brian, one of us, a professional musician, pastor, and recovering pastor's kid. That's you. The other, the other a media public relations expert, a writer, and a pop culture aficionado. That's me. Yeah, that definitely is me. I'm still in process, <laughs> still trying to figure out the things of my childhood, and I'm still, you know. You and me both. We're, we're always working on it. It's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, the residual. So what's new, man? How's it going? Um, yeah, it's it's been kind of a crazy week with me. Um, life is good, though. You know, and I, I always think, like, the the key for me to escaping some of the trappings of depression, which is a topic that we're going to be talking about today, uh, one of the keys to me, and it's not the only thing that helps, but it's one of the things that helps, is um, just being grateful for what I have. Mm-hmm. Um, God has blessed me incredibly, and uh, to the extent that I sometimes I feel like I, I take it for granted, and uh, so it's important for me to be grateful. And today I'm feeling grateful. Yeah. So as we kind of roll into this and, you know, I'm sure there's a, a, a segment of people that are like, um, you know, I don't understand depression. I don't really need to hear about depression because I don't deal with depression. So like, what would you say to those people who who kind of have that, you know, who are ready to pause the pod, the podcast right now? Because, yeah, that's a great question. Because um, they, yeah, they don't, they don't get it or they don't think that they need to get it for that matter yeah so uh this conversation stems from a chat that grant and i had on the phone uh the other day it was just kind of uh hey catching up what's going on and grant was asking how i'm doing and i said you know just kind of sinking further into this depression thing and we got to talking about what that means and not only what it means for me but what it means universally what we're supposed to take away from this idea of depression and um, I think there's a lot of stigma surrounding it. Uh, and even to say that, like there's a lot of stigma around saying there's a stigma surrounding it. So it's, um, you know, we're, we're going a little bit down the rabbit hole here. But <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to your point, though, and just to make sure that I'm tracking, I, I would say uh, that this is something depression and then the larger umbrella of mental health issues this is something that affects people uh, on a scale that um, other healthcare and medical conditions can't compete with it's it's something that's important um, I think that uh, I, I read today actually that mental health issues are set to eclipse all other health conditions as the number one condition that is being treated by physicians and, sure. and medically. So we're, we're talking about something that even if it doesn't affect you, it affects somebody who you know, um, and it might affect you and you just don't recognize it or understand it yet. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, but I, I wanted to give this conversation a little bit of context because Grant and I decided like we're we're going to talk about depression and Grant was really honest and and you told me like possibly from your upbringing and we can like we can bring up your upbringing a, <laughs> a little bit but um, you said that your attitude was always. Well, if you're feeling blue, if you're feeling down, just like pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you know. And yeah, yeah, I, I was always to me. It's always like um, so. I remember doing, um, and I had a great upbringing, right? I like it's, but I there was you know there's certain things that like I you know it's you know your attitude you know affects your ad your altitude everything your attitude is everything going in if there's something going wrong your attitude is wrong um there's you know all those kinds of things so i had i remember like i had like one of the dis one of the things that one of the disciplines i had as a kid and not just from my parents but basically from every teacher ever um 
but including my my parents uh like i massive writing assignments like writing assignments right i need you to give me like seven pages on why you know why this is da 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 like what whatever so like you know when when uh when an attitude thing would come up you know um like my dad or somebody would be like hey um i need you to write this uh 500 times and like you know what i mean this stuff like that so there was things that were kind of uh totally you know nailed into me great things but at the same time there's there were certain things that like i think that maybe because i you know i have this this idea of like i gotta pull myself up from you know the the bootstraps if there's something going on then there's something in my uh there's something in my like you know something i'm doing that that i need to you know kind of fix so when you have this idea of depression which is you know it's it's much obviously it's you know it's much different it's it's much bigger um than you know i i I can't say that I completely, and not that anybody completely understands or grasps it, you know, grasps it, but like, I, I feel like I'm just like, I, I feel like I just, yeah, yeah. Not that I don't get it. I don't really know how I can describe it, but I, um, I don't completely understand it. And the funny thing is, is like, I'm just as susceptible as anybody else, you know, maybe even more so for some of those things. Right. And, um, so I don't know, you know, uh, I, you know, in, this article I was reading, um, there's this, uh, actually is one of the ones that you sent to me, um, that when we were talking about before is, uh, there's, you know, knowledge is power in that regard. So yeah, to your point, um, I want to go over some of the things that you said. Yeah. I, I understand how there are people who don't deal with even I think feeling blue or feeling down, I, I think that there are people who, for whatever reason, their disposition is just that they're joyful and they're happy and they can float through life. And it's not most of us. It's probably- Which, by the way, is, is the complete opposite of me. Like, you know me. Like, I'm not like, I am so joyful. All like people probably look at me like, yo, that dude is, that dude is. No, no. I mean, there's, there's cynicism there, but like you, right. you still, there, there's, this is the way that I would describe it. Like your baseline is normal. Okay. And sometimes you move up from that and sometimes Mm -hmm. you move down from that. Right. Like, um, for me, somebody who deals with what's called severe clinical depression, Mm -hmm. a medical diagnosis, right. Um, I have a baseline and that's essentially as good as it gets. And then I kind of go down from there or way down from there. Mm. Um, And to explain it in sort of layman's terms, and the reason that I'm using layman's terms is because that's the only way that I understand it. Um, But to explain in layman's terms, uh, there's there the, the chemical composition in my brain, there's, there's something there that, um, causes me through, I don't know, serotonin levels to experience life in a different way and to experience my existence in a different way whereby I am prone to not only feeling a lack of enthusiasm or a lack of joy or a lack of anything that that brings me happiness, which is more or less my day-to-day experience or what I call clouds of severe depression, which um, sink me lower than that kind of baseline of just sort of floating through life and, and not really enjoying things. And yeah. the reason that I say this is it's a, it's a chemical thing, right? It's, it's a chemical imbalance in my brain. There's nothing that I can do about it. You can't, pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have bootstraps to pull on. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times for depression, it's, you know, the bootstraps have been cut down to the aglets. Aglets are, mm-hmm. by the way, the, the little plastic things on the end of your shoestrings. <laughs> it's a good word that you should know. Aglets. Aglets. So, Can you tell me the first time you ever used the word aglets? Like, how did you know about the word aglets? I mean, I know you're 
your brilliant Rolodex of vocabulary, but right, right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. A few years ago, who knows? A decade and a half. I don't know. We'll, we'll just say fifteen years. But um, yeah, it's so it's it's hard to to pull yourself up when there's nothing to grab onto, and for a lot of the occasions that I that I sink into a deep depression. Um, that's what happens. And I was talking to my wife, Becky, about it. I talk about her often on here. I was talking to her about it the other day. Um, and it's funny because there's never any warning that I'm going to get into a frame of mind, a frame of reference where I am depressed. Like it's, it, it doesn't happen in a, a sequential or logical way, it, it just, it's like the weather, it just comes on and then I have to confront it. Hmm. One of the things that I sent you, Grant, as we were discussing this episode of the podcast, um, and if it's okay with you, I'd, I'd like to read it and unpack it a little bit. It's one of the sure. best analogies that I've ever heard about mm -hmm. the way that depression works. I don't know where it originated from, um, it started circulating after a couple months ago, after Anthony Bourdain died, um, and he, he died of suicide, which is another topic I think that I, I don't necessarily want to go into about suicide yeah. and how that happens and all of that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. but it's something to take seriously and, and to not dismiss. But anyway, um, this started making the rounds and it's, um, I'll edit out some of the language. I'll self-edit it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a, an analogy about snow. And, and here it is. When you have depression, it's like it snows every day. Some days it's only a couple of inches. It's a pain, but you still make it to work, the grocery store. Sure, maybe you skip the gym or your friend's birthday party, but it is still snowing, and who knows how bad it might get tonight. Probably better just to head home. Your friends notice, but they probably think you're flaky or just kind of a jerk. Some days it snows a foot. You spend an hour shoveling out your driveway and you're late to work. Your back and your hands hurt from shoveling. You leave early because it's really coming down out there. Your boss notices. Some days it snows four feet. You shovel all morning, but your street never gets plowed. You're not making it to work, or anywhere else for that matter. You're so sore and tired that you just get back into bed. By the time you wake up, all your shoveling is filled back in with snow. Looks like your phone rang. People are wondering where you are. You don't feel like calling them back. You're too tired from all the shoveling. Plus, they don't get this much snow at their house. So they don't understand why you're still stuck at home. They think you're lazy, you're weak, but they rarely come out and say it. Some weeks it's a full-blown blizzard. When you open your door, it's to a wall of snow. The power flickers and it goes out. It's too cold to sit in the living room anymore. So you get back into bed with all your clothes on. The stove and microwave won't work, so you eat a cold Pop-Tart and you call that dinner. You haven't taken a shower in three days, but how could you at this point? You're too cold to do anything but sleep. Sometimes people get snowed in for the winter. The cold seeps in. No communication, in or out. The food runs out. What can you even do? Tunnel out from a 40-foot snowbank with your bare hands? How far away is help? Can you even get there in a blizzard? If you do, can they even help you at this point? Maybe it's death to stay here, but it's death to go out there too. When it snows all the time, you get worn all the way down. You get tired of being cold. You get tired of hurting all the time from shoveling. But if you don't shovel on the light days, it builds up to something unmanageable on the heavy days. You resent the hell out of the snow, but it doesn't care. It's just blind chemistry and active nature. It carries on regardless, unconcerned, and unaware if it buries you or the whole world. The snow builds up in other areas, places you can shovel, sometimes places you can't even see. Maybe it's on the roof, maybe it's on the mountain behind the house. Some days there's an avalanche that blows the house right off its foundation and takes you with it, a veritable act of God. Nothing can be done. The neighbors say it's a shame and they can't understand it. He was doing so well with the shoveling. So there it is, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a 
That's a there's not much pow- to say, right? <laughs> like yeah, there's a powerful analogy. I mean, uh. I think in my experience, like it's uh, for me at least, um, it's been a snow and a constant snow, and some days like there will be no snow, but you look up and it's, it's still a little bit gray up there and you know, it's threatening snow and it it doesn't snow. Um, but you know, you can expect it. And, uh, there are certain things people talk about all the time. They're like, why, why can't you just get help? Why not, um, find out what medication works. Right. And medication is actually a really weird thing when it comes to depression. Uh, it's not like, you can just take a pill and it makes everything go away at best at best what you take makes you feel normal and able to deal with and able to handle things um some people call them happy pills like derisively right like well you just take happy pills and they make you happy that's not what happens it doesn't make you happy it makes you normal um Hmm. the problem is that the effectiveness of the medication wanes uh, and so it's really important, at least it's been important for me to have a good primary care doctor who knows me, who understands what I'm going through and what my struggles are and knows like if this medication isn't working, if the effectiveness has waned, then we're going to try something else and, and he'll know like the, the next best thing to try. Um, therapy is also something that people talk about why don't you just talk it out with somebody mm-hmm. and and that's good too uh, it helps to process and to try to figure out why you're feeling what you're feeling but it's not a cure-all you know it's also it, it's not something that um that can completely mitigate the the clinical effects of severe depression the i, th- I think there's um there's a lot of questions like is a you know is there you you said that there it's kind of like a, a chemical imbalance or all that but is there something that triggers that is it is there sure you know it, it, does when did you when did you first discover that this was like or you know or maybe diagnosis the better word yeah um, yeah that's an awesome question um, I I think that it's something that is always kind of been there has always been a part of me it's it's like um it's like asking me when i first knew that um that i was a boy you know like i i kind of always right. knew that um yeah. when i first knew that i was a twin like i was born a twin i always knew mm-hmm. that i was a twin um when i was in college i um had some very important conversations with people who knew me and cared about me and, and told me that uh, the way that I was feeling wasn't the way that m- people generally feel in hmm. terms of the way that I experienced life and my reactions to certain things. And the, the way that it manifested itself for me back then, I think, was that I would get constantly frustrated with things minor Mm. things that that don't normally bother people would really really affect me um and and some people would say and i I hate when people say this like you're um overly emotional or you're too sensitive you know there's no Mm. such thing as too sensitive like these are good feelings good emotions to have i think that if anything our society is way too insensitive um so sensitivity isn't a bad thing But my reaction to the things that bothered me was uh, there were a few ways that I would react. I would get really frustrated. I would get angry because I felt like I wasn't in control of what was going on. I would get extremely despondent over over my inability to control certain things. And there's an aspect there of being a control freak, which is part and parcel with anxiety, which is something that I, that I also deal with. And most people who uh, do have clinical depression deal with anxiety as well. Um, and uh, I, I went to see my family doctor who I'd been seeing. 
he he was there the day I was born. So I, I'd known him for you know two decades at this point, and yeah. um, and he's like, you you exhibit all of the classic symptoms of clinical depression. Have you ever thought about medication? And I said, absolutely not. I was really reticent to even yeah. try that because because of that stigma. Because I was concerned that. I don't want to be just this weird, happy zombie, like the the song um, Shiny Happy People by R.E.M., which is actually mm-hmm. like a, a a joke song. It's a satire about the state of modern pop music. I didn't want to be that. Yeah. Um, and he explained to me that I'm not giving you quote-unquote happy pills. This is just to help you feel normal. And But then he said also um, – exercising, getting outside, being an active person, doing things that you enjoy, those are all things that are going to help you. Like medication itself isn't going to help. It's not going to change anything for you. It's a component, but if all you're doing is relying on the medication, you're not going to see the the change that makes you feel like an old person. So hmm. that was the genesis of this whole thing. Sure. Um, well, and one of the things that I want to get into, because I feel like I've been talking a lot, and I, I want to know what your perspective is, people in the church are dealing with a lot of stuff. Um, every single person who walks in on a Sunday morning is dealing with depression or loss or uh, a marriage that isn't going as well as they thought or Mm -hmm. a kid who has maybe sunk into um, fallen into into the wrong crowd or is sunk into um, some things that that he shouldn't be dabbling in whether it's drugs or sex or whatever so you're dealing with a lot of broken people you're up there Mm -hmm. on stage and people know you as a pastor pastor grant pastor grant um what is your response and what is your your sort of charge when you get up on stage and realize that your job is to minister to people who have these brokennesses yeah i it's so funny there there's this you know in a in a lot of in a lot of areas um people associate the pastor title with the guy who I mean in some people's minds, you know, should have should have all the answers or, you know, I don't know, maybe if they don't even believe that, they think they should or whatever. I you know, I don't know. It's funny cuz I've always shied away from like people calling me any kind of pat like my name is Grant, like my Oh, sure. my mom, my dad named me Grant. And you don't I understand to, that. Um, you don't. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to. You know. Call me that. So, the 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 funny thing is, is um, there's so many people that there's so many people that you know will say like you know now like you said my job is just to lead people right It's to lead people in um, and and influence and you know uh, for the sake of the gospel and all those things and there's so many people that are. De- yeah, dealing with all of it. I mean, they literally walk in, you know, first of all, there's a lot of people, I don't even know how they made it to church that morning, right? Do you um, recognize that, like, on their faces? Like, when they when when they come in, do you recognize that? Like, can you see it on their faces that, like, you... I think sometimes, I think some, you know, sometimes, I, I think there's other times where people are just like, uh, you, you know, like, you know, I mean, the, you, you being a pastoral staff, you know, people will come up and, you know, they'll tell you or they'll tell some of the other pastors, hey, I was really dealing with this. This word encouraged me today or this encouraged me today or whatever. And that's, you know, the, that's what community is for and the body of Christ is for sure. is, you know, you, you want to, you want that encouragement, right? You want to encourage the saints to worship with the saints, you know, saints being, you know, people who follow Christ and all that. And, you know, obviously there's... You know, we want people to hear the gospel and all that. There's, there's plenty of that there. Um, I, but, um, you know, there's so many times where, you know, somebody, hey, I'm really struggling with this or I'm struggling with this or that. Um, and I, I, you know, I try to sp- speak God's truth and who God says they are to them. 
um, in that moment. And I have to understand like half the time, you know, I'm, you know, I'm hearing about that in that moment for the, you know what I mean? In that second right there. And so many people are looking for something more than just a, um, they're looking for something more than just, hey, like an encouragement or whatever. You know, that's why, you know, you'll hear preachers or pastors talk about having counseling sessions before and after and in the middle of the, you know, and there's, you know, of the services and, you know, it's, you know, like you want to be able to minister to them and and lead them in the right direction like they need to be or whatever they're looking for. You want to hear about that, right? So a lot of times we make an appointment and, you know, um, and all that and, you know, be able to kind of give the, the, the attention that they need. And there's so, um, I, I, there's so many things going through my head right now when it, when it, when it comes to, um, all of those things. Well, can I, I ask I, a question? I, um, yeah, cause I, there's a soapbox I'm going to get on here at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm eager I, for that. I, I, I love like hashtag grant soapbox. Like I love yeah. that. Um, but does it, does it frustrate you when people do see you as somebody who uh, is not only the worship leader, but is somebody who, because they don't see a professional therapist or a counselor, um, they haven't talked to their doctor about uh, medication options or an exercise regimen or anything like that, right? So they're coming to you for solace and a hope and like it or not, you're not trained in that, right? Yep. Like what, what does that, how does that feel as, as a worship leader and as pastor to, to know that they're coming to you for something that you're not able to give them? Yeah, so here comes the soapbox, right? So I, I knew I, think I was that, setting you up for that, and I'm so yeah, pumped about that. <laughs> so, I th- like it, when I think, and this is you know geared towards pastors. Like in the minute, in that moment, there's so many people. And when I say that, you know, there's people that look to pastors for answers. There's also a host of pastors that are looking to give answers to anybody who is actually listening. Yep. Right? Never mind if they actually know what they're talking about or not. Right. So your 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 point or your 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 job is to encourage and and influence people to help encourage. Right. If church is an encouragement, one of the things is an encouragement to the saints, then you're there to encourage them and, and share those things. Hey, like, you know, this is what God says about you. All of those things. Right. There's so many people, though, there's so many pastors that don't understand the difference between, like, an actual counselor, like uh, like a guy who was trained or, or a woman who was trained in counseling, and, and this is what they do, and they've, and they've gone to school, and they've studied and all that, and, you know, and the guy, like, listen, like, you, you were trained to, like, really, like, you know, to, to preach and to be able to kind of lay out scripturally some truths and all that. That doesn't make you, like, the authority on counseling. And so many times that there are people, and, and I understand, like, if you're in a smaller church, sometimes, like, you're all that they have. But you, you need to understand, like, listen, pastor, you need to understand the lines that you're, that you're inside, right? You need to understand where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are. And listen, even though they're feeding your ego by asking questions, even though that like it makes you feel good to be wanted, and it's you know it, I don't know if you know maybe it's a, you're maybe you are trying to help, maybe it's feeding an insecurity of yours. I have no idea, but you need to be smart enough and be responsible with the title and the position that God has given you to lead them to people who are actually um, able to actually bring them physical help in all of those things, whether that means sending them to a counselor, whether that means sending them to a personal trainer. Like you as a pastor isn't, you're not the end all be all of all things authoritarian. And, and like, like I, I, it, it messes me up because I've seen as a pastor's kid, whatever, I've seen all of those things. And all they're doing is like, they're literally, they're not, you know, in those things, they're not helping people. They're really not. Like my man, like you're you you like you are you're way overweight. Like don't think that you need to give like you know uh, an exercise routine. Like this is your weightlift. You know what I mean? Like like it's the same thing when it comes to to clinical depression. You need to hand that and have resources to people who uh, for people who 
um, need those need those kind needs that kind of help needs the counseling needs those things and um, I think if you don't and you're trying to carry that yourself you're trying to carry that yourself like you're you're being irresponsible you're being irresponsible with um, with with your title with your position with your influence if you think that you're gonna have the end all be all um, answer to all that I like one of the greatest things that I've heard um, 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 one of the pastors that I know and have served under, they he said um, there was a there was something coming up, and he was just like, um, you know, I'm not a counselor. Like I can give you some truths right here. Like I can give you some truths right now that um, you know that kind of speak to part of your situation, some of your situation of like remember that you're a child of God. Remember that you are like there are some things here. But there are some things that I'm just not, I'm, I can't deal with them. Like, I don't know how to, to do that. So I'm going to refer you to a counselor who is versed in, um, you know, uh, uh, a biblical worldview to be able to kind of lead you through some of these things and help you through some, walk yeah, with you yeah. through some of these things, you know? And I think that the security of that pastor in that, uh, in that situation and um, just the, 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 that's that's wisdom to be able to do that says so much about that pastor absolutely yeah and like i i know and i like i know that you know you're like yeah well i don't know anybody like yeah i don't know anybody so i'm gonna give them one out there's nobody around i don't like this guy like okay all right so be responsible right like actually take this seriously and seek those resources out you need like with 300 million people in america like um uh, struggling with depression, you need to have that at your fingertips. Sure, like you, you need to, you need to, um, you need to have those resources like within arm's reach to be able to minister to the people that God has entrusted you with. And I could keep going, but you know, yeah. Well, actually, you you um, you bring up I a, think it's, a great point. Go ahead. I think it's three hundred million. I'm not sure if it's. I, I read that somewhere. I'm not sure if it's three hundred million people. That struggle with depression in America, I'm not sure. That, that sounds like most Americans, which I feel like maybe to some extent it's, it's probably the case, right? Because yeah. that's, that's the society that we live in, right? It's, yeah. it's um, when, when we live in a society that tells us that everything is at our fingertips and that, um, that happiness comes from within and that we have personally – everything that it takes to to make ourselves happy and successful like you're going to have like you've got an epidemic on your hands at that point Hmm. um i do want to point out right now since we're talking about it um depression and suicide or suicidal ideation they go hand in hand um the u.s has a a national suicide prevention lifeline that I, I want to give the number for right now. It's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. A number that you can call uh, toll free if that means anything these days, right? <laughs> toll free, right? Yeah. Um, that uh, you know they'll they'll listen and uh, they can they can point you in the direction of the resource that you need. Um, and and you're so right. We. So I think that there there are two things that are going on here. I think that one of them is we expect too much of our pastors and we pay them too little to to give them the resources and the ability to to do everything. <laughs> and that's and that's true. Yeah. That you're like that's another holy moly, that's another oh, I know. Out so, soapbox. We I mean, should but, totally talk about that at some point. Yeah, like, but let me say, like, the, like, the expectation, um, I think that's just, that's, that's going to come, like, expecting too much of your pastors, yeah, I, I, but there's a line there, um, pastor, pastors or people who are getting into, if you're, like, if you're getting into ministry right now and you're listening to this and you're about to go to Bible college or whatever, or be educated in some kind of way, and you're making it like you need to know like like ministry isn't you know 
preaching. I know like in school they teach you how to preach, but they don't really teach you how to lead and you know to and to minister as well. I mean, some people some some people in places do it better than others, but the the truth is this, like the, that's mostly ministry. Ministering to people is most of ministry, not like standing, you know, up on stage and orating, but like so but that's I a good word, by the this. way, orating. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> the, I, Who's I think using the big words now? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, the, I, I, expecting too much of your pastors is one thing. I, um, I think the expectation should be high. You know, it should be high. I think that some people, though, um, especially in America, it's very me-centered. So there's a lot of people that want to be ministered to on their terms. And there are pastors that need to be freed from that, right? Like, um, there, like there's there's a line that you have to draw, you know, where like people are like, you know, and and every pastor that has done this knows what I'm talking about, or you know, um, somebody won't be happy. There's going to be people that aren't going to be happy about anything, right? When you when you're being ministered to or whatever, they they want to be ministered to on their terms and only their terms. I mean, and it's like going not, to a concert; you expect the band to play your favorite song, and it's not exactly, always going to happen in in the order that you want them to, right? And and if you're if they're not if they're not ministered to on their terms, then they need to go. Like then they're going to leave, and like all right, well, whatever, let them go. They're going to find another church, right? Like that's whatever. So there there are those cases, right? But they're they're also like you, you know like you you got into ministry became a pastor all that because you know um, maybe you wanted to or there was a call of God on your life or something you know one of those things but the expectation should be high because I think the calling is high and I think that the results and what hangs in the balance is high right so I'm not trying to if there's any anybody that you know is doesn't want to give pastors a pass on like it being hard or whatever it's me um i think that the boundaries need to be drawn a little bit better and some people get caught so some pastors get caught in so much of um you know what's going on every single day that they're just they're trying to do ministry themselves and this leads me to another thing that's the idea of building teams and the idea of being able to minister from a team who can minister to people 10 times what you can like it's just that's just that's the the short of it like you know um but that's a whole nother thing anyway i don't want to get too far into in too far into this so we're we're um exploring some pretty difficult things here in terms of what uh a pastor's job and responsibility is yeah and from a you know, in a, a member, a attendee, parishioner, whatever you want to call them, right? From, mm-hmm. from my perspective, uh, what I want to know is if I or somebody else comes to my pastor or pastoral team and needs something, will I be able or be put in a position to be able to uh, find the resources that are able to help me. And that's important because even understanding and accepting the fact that the pastor isn't going to have all the answers, I think that one of the important things about pastoring and uh, and uh, shepherding a flock, if I can use that phrase, that's tough that, for me, but yeah. Uh, well, I know. <laughs> That's really loaded terminology, and I understand mm-hmm. that. But um, but I think that, that the average churchgoer needs to, and I think that our, our church does a great job of um, building its identity on this is a place that you can come to for, for help, and love and security and compassion without judgment, right? Um, and so I guess my question would be like, when somebody comes to you and they need help, 
are you able to at least point them in the right direction? Or a, a better question, like not just for you, but do you think that pastors should have the resources and ability to point them into a direction that will give them the specific help that they need? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's what I was, uh, that part of that rant was, I think that, like, you need to be readily, like, if you aren't, I mean, there are some pastors that are counselors, like, they went to school for counseling. And sure, all yeah. I mean, sure, if, like, that's your thing, like, whatever. I mean, uh, at Victory, we're, we have the luxury of having a staff pastor who does, who's the counseling pastor, who, um, who that's his background, like, that's his Schooling and by the way, school. I think that every church, and I, I am like firm on this, no matter how big or small the church is, um, and pastors get different names. Like this is a preaching pastor, and this is a, a you know, um, worship pastor. Well, that's what you are. Um, yeah. Not every church gets to have a grant, but. You know, <laughs> the, the lucky ones do. I'm sh- I'm sure that they're all like real thankful that they don't have a grant. No, it's not true. So. But but what I'm <laughs> what I'm saying is like so every church is whatever they call it a preaching pastor. But I, I also think that every church should have um, a pastor who specifically deals in the area of um, of community care, congregation mm-hmm. care. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and care pastor. Yeah, and and some people, um, I, I would liken it to uh, having a doctor on staff. You know, yeah. they always have a doctor on staff, and I think that that's a really important job, an important role. Even if that guy or gal is not the person who's on stage every day, preaching the message, giving the word, which, mm-hmm. as you um, really eloquently put it, like that's that's not the main thing that you do as a pastor, right? Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, yeah, the care of the people is is huge. At, like, and I think, like, I, I think you're 100% right. I, like, when somebody moves into a church, you know, when a pastor moves into a church and, you know, starts setting up, you know, a team, if it's not already set up and all that, that, I think you are 100% right. Like, you need to seek that out. And if you aren't, and, you know, to, if you don't have the luxury of, being able to pay somebody or part-time or anything like you, like, like I said, their information needs to be at an arm's length so that you can then completely just hand them off to those people that are going to be able to give them the help that they need. Sure. Um, sure. Can I talk uh, a little bit? Oh, go ahead. I, did you have something else to add to that? Can I, you got, you have time for an interesting story? Absolutely. Do you have time? I do have time. So I, this is one of the things that um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, there was somebody who um, had a daughter come into our church, and um, she was clinically depressed. I think it was farther than that. I don't know that. I don't know exactly what. You know, we just heard that hey, she's having a tough time. She's living with her mom for a bit. She's older. Um, you know, but she's young, she's older, you know, it'd be cool if she hangs out a little bit with your team and mm-hmm. and all that, you know, maybe you can kind of encourage her and all that. So, you know, she was, uh, you know, just hooked her up with some of the other, um, you know, the women on our team and all that. And um, so there, you know, there'd be times, you know, where we just kind of have some downtime and, uh, you know, we'd be kind of hanging out and, um you know, the conversation would come up, like, she was very vocal about her depression, like, she was, like, not overly vocal, like, look at me, but she was just, like, she wasn't, she she wasn't, you know, she wouldn't shy away from it. She didn't hide the fact that that's something no, that she was all. going through. Yeah. Not at all. And, like, so there'd be times where, like, oh, you know, she would just say, when in our in our conversation, she'd just be like, you know, and it, it's not like we would be actually be talking about depression. It was not like she would like hijack the conversation or anything. But sure. I'm like, you know, you know what, you know, what, what kind of throws you into these things? And you know, this is literally I, you know, this is my continuing learning about depression. She was just like, and she would just, she looked at me and she just 
she would just start crying. She would just be like, you know, there's just times that I just, I just want to die. Like, I think that, I think that death would be better than this, you know? And those words, um, when you're in that moment, the heaviness of those words, the heaviness of the hopelessness of those words um, are very, uh, it's kind of, it's like somebody hitting you and you're like, Sure, but, yeah. but like you don't, you don't really want to die, like right, like you don't really, you don't think that that possibly could be a good solution to this. She's just like I, you know, there's just times where I just don't, like there's nothing for me here, like there's, there's nothing for me to, to do to say. I just feel like, I just feel like dying and. When you get to, when, like, you, you're talking to somebody and they get to that point, like, you, for, for a lot of people, I know with me, like, you can't comprehend that when they're dead serious, like, you're feeling the weight of that emotion. And it's, and it's very real and it's very raw and it's something, you know, even if you can't understand how somebody could get to that point, you recognize that it's true for them at that time. Right. Absolutely, and like I like to me, that was the first time. Well, I think that was the first time that somebody like had actually said it out loud in that kind of context to me, and been like, and just so everybody knows, you know, she was going through counseling. Um, it wasn't just me there. She was like the fact that she was suicidal had been, you know you know, reported, all of those things, all right, the right. Were taken. Right, right, so it's, it's not like you uh, were it, the it, lifeline it, there. Correct, correct. There, She was literally actively in um, going through some of those things. And and uh, it, so I, like, but hearing those words, there was such a, a weight to that, like, I couldn't, like, right? Um, and I can only imagine there are passers people have said that too that pastors have tried to drive people out of that and being like well let's go to the scripture and let's see what god says about you and like those are those are some things those are steps to take for sure but you need to hand that off to somebody who is professionally able to deal with something like of that brevity yeah um i and so I, I just want to sort of tell you that your recognition of that and your understanding of the fact that you as a, whatever we're calling you now, worship leader slash pastor slash mm. jack of all trades and master of most, um, all that stuff. You know, or none. Right, right. Um, I think that there is a real um, godly humility uh, that comes from a, a pastor saying, this is just out of my element right now, and I know where help exists, and I know that I can't give it to you right now. But also as a pastor, um, it's not like you're... Uh, a line chef taking tickets and saying like I don't know how to cook this order and you pass it on to the next person and um, don't pay it any attention like it, it affects you um, yeah yeah absolutely and th there's something that I wanted to bring up um, real quickly to close out this conversation um, so uh, a ministry called Desiring God, and I'm not m making judgments on the ministry or the people in it, um, posted this tweet uh, earlier this week. It was six ways to fight when depression descends, and, and they have a, a list here. Find trusted spiritual friends, open your soul to them, ask them to pray with you, pour out your soul to the Father, rest in the sovereign wisdom of God, fix your eyes on the joy set before you and the precious promises of God, um, and I think that those are all good things and those are all um, things that I've needed to do 
when what Chesterton calls Chesterton had a a, a, a great uh, phrase for depression. He called it the black dog, the black dog of depression. G.K. Mm. Chesterton himself dealt with it. Mm. Um, and and these are are really incredible and transformative ways that that I've faced the black dog myself. Uh, sometimes they aren't enough, or sometimes. I don't have the ability to reconcile with those things. And there's this uh, tweet that a, uh, a writer, um, you know what I, what I mean when I say subtweeted? So she like retweeted that with comment, so she kind of subtweeted them. It's, a, it's a, a tech culture phrase, so subtweet, put that in your dictionary. Um, says, uh, she says, depression can weaken your ability to do these things. Please talk to a doctor or a therapist instead of getting trapped in shame if you can't overcome mental illness with spiritual discipline. Talk to your church if you can't afford mental health care. And, and I agree with that. Um, I don't know that that's what the tweet itself was saying. I don't know if, if when uh, Desiring God tweeted these ways to fight when depression descends, um, if that tweet was supposed to be a substitute for um, getting sort of clinical or evidence-based help. Um, and so I'm not sure what to do with the tone of that tweet that says depression can weaken your ability to do these things. I don't think that Desiring God was saying to do this instead of getting other help. I think that both things are important. Um, mm. Yes, talk to a doctor or therapist. Mm -hmm. um, yes, find trusted spiritual friends. Yes, open your soul to them. Yes, uh, rest in the sovereign wisdom of God. Yes, let your doctor know that you're dealing with depression and ask if there is medication that can help. Like, do all of these things. Don't... Um, take the uh, spiritual biblical route and say I'm going to do this without a doctor or without um, some form of therapy I think that can be really dangerous and I Abs absolutely I'm sorry I just want to no, cut in please do. To, to jump on just to jump on that like people again like um, uh, the American the American uh, you know we're very polarized left right right wrong up down um for some reason they think it's either faith-based or clinical right it's either i'm gonna uh read my bible or i'm gonna go to a doctor and help them like yeah, people yeah. don't understand that god can use doctors to help you walk through things like it could be both so um those are not competing in, interests Exactly. Either or. Sorry. So continue. Yeah. No. 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 That that that's a great point, and um, and I think that uh, you gave some really wise and and I think some pretty brutal instruction to pastors who think they can do it all themselves, um, recognizing that that you can as a pastor, I think is is really important but also recognizing that God has made other help available and you mm. can be the coordinator of that help is so vital. Yeah, I, I think that, the, yeah, exactly. Like, it's so vital. And to, to try to take that on, you know, just be aware that, you know, when you're not, when you're not able to, when you're not, like, trained to deal with those kinds of things, you can make things 10 times worse. Make no mistake. Just because, like, you know, just because you're a pastor and you hear from God, that doesn't mean that, like, you, th you know, like, you won't make things worse. Like, you, you there's a high probability, if you're not trained in that, you can make things worse. Those are some serious words, and they're wise words. That's, that's a really good point. Um, and unfortunately I've seen, I've seen that happen on the bad end. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't want to, um, make light of this, but, uh, 
one of the things I think that uh, when Dwayne The Rock Johnson wrestled that he would always say is know your role and shut your mouth. And I think I think those are and I didn't even watch professional wrestling. That's just something that my mm. friend told me. It might have been Steve Austin. I don't even nah, know. It was nah, was it, it was, was the Rock? The Rock yeah. All right. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it either. But because your parents didn't let you, like, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I had enough. I had enough people around me like screaming that, like you know, all day on the baseball. Sure, field, sure. So, yeah. so um, I have a a special list of recommendations today to close out our podcast. We always end up um, end these podcasts with us talking about things that we've been listening to, things that we've been enjoying. And this is just a, a really brief list of things that have helped me to deal with depression. Mm. Um, and uh, the first one is an album that I have talked about before. It's Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens, um, an artist who is a Christian, but not a Christian artist, which we can talk about that phraseology at some point in the future. But anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but he, um, he deals with the death of his mother and deals with some very real and raw issues of depression and suicide through the album. Um, it has been a great comfort to me, uh, if only to realize that I'm, I'm not alone when I deal with these things. Um, I highly recommend that album. Uh, I was listening to it feeling, feeling blue last night, and I was listening to it just last night, and it kind of renewed my faith in a very good God who has very good plans and, and who I can trust and rely on and uh, remind of his own promises yeah um, I, I that's so good i um i, I don't know I, I i feel like i know this could open a whole other piece of this conversation but um one thing that we didn't we didn't really specifically unpack but i think is very um important to say in like in that t in that tweet um, it there were some implications that um, you know if you if you were dealing not just in that tweet but the line like if you were dealing with that depression it's somehow that equals faithless right like if you are if you if 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 you're struggling with depression then you're not as spiritual or full of faith as everybody else yeah. and it's just one hundred percent a lie. And um, yeah, that's just something that you don't accept. Like that is just a lie, one hundred percent. I love you for saying that. That's it's huge stuff. Yeah, I, I, that, that drives me ballistic. And the people who are who 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 tout that and retout that, like you, like you are just you're shameful, and you should be quiet. Another great book, um, or a book. That, I, I just talked about an album that has helped me in my struggles with depression, but a great book uh, that has helped me to process and understand pain, uh, physical pain and emotional pain. Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey has been so important to mm -hmm. um, the development of my understanding of why God even allows this stuff to exist. Mm -hmm. um, and, and why even he has authored this and he has um, brought pain into this world, right? Um, if we believe that, that God is, is the developer um, and the, the sort of progenitor of everything, um, we have to reconcile with the fact that pain is and, and can be of him and and how do we reconcile a good god who um who allows pain and who even speaks to us through pain and the, the book uh, i was going through an incredibly difficult time going on about five years ago i don't want to go too much into the details at some point, Grant and I are really eager to do a conversation about marriage, 
and um, and we'll probably talk about it then. But um, but I was going through a period of intense spiritual and emotional pain, and um, this book was a godsend to me. I I can honestly say I don't know where. I would be in what direction my pain would have taken if I hadn't read Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. I highly recommend it, no Mm. matter what you're going through. Yeah, I think um, you said something. It's funny because this is it's a it's a crazy conversation as well. I think um, I think allowing pain, you know, God bringing pain versus allowing pain, you know, that that's a very deep. Uh, you know, there's a there's some deep water there. Yeah, we can go into some real theological. It's a phrase that I've used before: is theological rabbit holes. You know, to yeah, to totally. figure out like <laughs> where pain comes from and does God yeah. create it or does He just allow it? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a worthwhile conversation. And I, I actually I I think the answer is um, either yes and no or yes and fill in the blank. You know. Um, I, I don't know that that we, as um, as humans, can fully understand and appreciate what God's purpose is in that. Um, sure. But however you understand or reconcile pain, whether God creates it, whether God is the author of it, whether God allows it, no matter what your um, sort of theological terminology is. Um, I think that Where Is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey, I'm going to say that again, I cannot recommend it enough, and I think that it will help to, um, to to contextualize that pain. Yeah, that's good. That's good, man. That's really good. Uh, I, that's, uh, I'm glad that you uh, you threw that out there, like that, the Philip Yancey book. I mean, it, it, I mean, it just sounds like there was a – it was – it was a godsend to you in that situation. It absolutely like, was. was. I, I can talk about, uh, in the future, we will talk about why it was, but um, but I needed it. And uh, through through the grace of a good God, I stumbled upon it, and it, it made a difference. So It would be cool to get, uh, be cool to get Phil, Philip Yancey on the program. So, talk to him a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, let's, let's uh, we'll, we'll put that as like a... Um, in the future, like a standard, like if we can get Philip Yancey on, then we've we've totally made it. <laughs> right, it's true. It's so funny. Anything? Any uh, any other resources that you want to put out there? No. Um, my closing thoughts. I just uh, I want to reiterate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. And um, if calling somebody on the phone isn't your thing, I know it's not my thing. Um, there is a crisis text line in the U.S. that you can contact. Just text the word home, as in home run, home base. It's in the middle of baseball season right now, so I'm all about that. <laughs> text home to 741-741 for 24-7 crisis support in the U.S. You can call, or I'm sorry, text at any time, 741-741. Text the word home, and you'll get somebody who is... Uh, trained to deal with what you're going through. Yeah, it's good. Um, by the way, you can um, if you're on if you've been listening for any amount of time, and um, there's some things that you really hate that we say, or that you love that we say, and you 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 know you'd want to um, you know throw rocks at us or agree with us. I live in a glass can, house, so that's not a good idea. <laughs> You can uh, you can actually email right now. It's a Gmail address, but you can you can reach out at uh, this is a love war at gmail.com. This is a love war at gmail.com, and you can find us on Insta and uh, Facebook and Twitter and all the other places at the same kind of this is the love war um, handle. So, um, and by I, the way, a- like I, I just want to say real quick, like if there's any like really difficult, complex theological, spiritual questions you have. Grant is more than happy to answer those. If you just want to BS um, and <laughs> and like have a complaint, just like address it to Brian, and I will deal with those ones. So, yeah, the deep spiritual ones. I don't know, man. I think my ADD will get to me at some point. I'll just be like, ah, whatever. 
all right, well, then when you get tired, you know, because I never sleep because I have a kid, when you get tired, just send them to me and I'll do my best. <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, there is this, I actually, I was so excited to actually share like one, one of the things that I've been into this, this week. Yes, uh, do it. So there's this guy, this artist named uh, Dylan Reynolds. Okay, he put out this album that you can't really find a few years ago. Um, and uh, he just released uh, a couple songs. This one song he released a few weeks ago, it's called No Control. And the vibe rules. Um, I just, I love the way that he, uh, that he approached the song. And um, I don't know, I just love the, the instincts on that Um on that song and just kind of one of the the, so a lot, the choices that he made were out of control and this I dude's love. a pennsylvania native right he's from pittsburgh he, he's from like pittsburgh um that's what he's uh yeah that's the story he has an interesting actually story right now he actually just f- finished some like some chemo from i think lymphoma in the neck or something oh like no that. kidding and the funny thing is is like i posted this um on my stories on my instagram like just you know i was so obsessed with it and uh, one of the drummers from our church, um, he calls me. Who's like, he's actually from the Pittsburgh area. He's like, he's like, dude, that's my cousin. No I was kidding. Like, what? Yeah, he's like, that's my cousin. I was like, uh, he was like, I was actually on the uh, one of the older albums. I was like, I don't know what he did, but right, I was right. Like, really? I was like, that's hilarious. I stumbled on it because I watched this um, this vlog. Uh, there's this guy that I watched that he he, he kind of. Um, he makes these videos. He's just he's he's from uh, like the Berkshires, like uh, like Upper Mass, and has like these beautiful uh, stories that he makes. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, Videos, and he used this song as a soundtrack. And I was like, "What is this song?" And so anyway, just bizarre. But I love the the, the song. Isn't it great when so, that happens? Yeah, it really is a small world. Like I yeah. don't I don't mean it in a, a Disney way, but but it's true. Like you know. The, the older I get, the more sort of profound these connections become. And that's that's really cool. And, hey, Victory Church having an impact right there in Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's cool. So it's awesome. Awesome, dude. Uh, as always, it was a pleasure. Do you want to close us out? Yeah. Again, I just want to throw that email address out. It's this is a love war. Uh, this is a love war at gmail.com. Um, we're also at this is a love war on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You want to um, hit us up, see what's going on. Um, just so thankful that you listen and that you're engaging with us, and we're looking forward to be with you next time. Take care. Love war.